Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today, our guest, Dr. Charles Moser from Texas, Houston, Texas. He is at bluehorsepersonaldevelopment.com. Fantastic time, great conversation. Our topic is going to be identifying blind spots on your way to a fee-for-service culture. And he's going to get into some really heavy or deep conversation about identifying those things naming them creating a little distance great conversation along the way a couple of bunch of other pearls because he owned three offices all by himself then he had a hand injury and tremors and had to stop practicing so talk about hitting the depth of your profession and then bouncing back and he worked for dso for eight years and then uh the deo group which is uh, a enterprise building organization and now has his own company so i think you're really going to enjoy the episode i think dentists from all walks are going to pick up something from it if you like the podcast click like subscribe share it with your friends that's how we grow you want to leave a review we always appreciate those just like our private practices if you don't like it, well, I'd like to hear from you. So please reach out to me, sunnyspira at gmail.com or 607-624-2962. Hit me up. As always, our fee-for-service dentist podcast is sponsored and brought to you by Kettenbach, Kettenbach Dental. They have a new product, Vesalis Fill and Vesalis Flow. They are a light-cured nano-hybrid composite. Highly filled at over 80%. High polishability, aesthetic, and durability with tremendous strength. Makes it an ideal composite for anterior and posterior restorative needs. Easy and quick shade guide system called the Flex system with Vita and a bleach and an opaque shade. Remember, your costs are lower at Kettenbach. It's available direct to you with no middleman costs. To learn more or to order, simply contact your local Kettenbach rep. 877-532-2123. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show, everybody. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door, and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns, and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, these are our stories. Welcome to the Feet for Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Charles 
Moser or Mosier? How do you pronounce it's it? It's Moser. Yep. Moser. Yeah. See, up north, we would put that H in there because right. we also eat pizza and soda, you know? So right. Moser. All right. Have a, have a pop, huh? Yeah. I- interesting background. Let me just give you a brief, um, brief synopsis. Born and raised in Houston, Texas. You're going to see a pattern here. Graduate of University of Texas in Austin. Yep, he's got the Longhorns up if you're watching the video. Uh, in 82, didn't finish, didn't get his degree, and then went to dental school. In 86, graduated in 89, and guess where? UT, but this time San Antonio. He's moving around Texas. Owned and has owned three dental offices by himself and had a hand injury that stopped all that. So we're going to hit on that and how that happened and how he pivoted. He's learned how to pivot and continue to rechannel his efforts into dentistry and leadership. And he was a dental director for eight years at a large DSO. Hold your booze, hold your applause. We're going to hear honestly how that went. In the 2000s, and almost 100 locations were there by the time he exited. Worked for a DEO for five years. But now he has his own company called Blue Horse personaldevelopment.com. That's bluehorsepersonaldevelopment.com. He has been a student of leadership and personal growth for the past 16 years, and he teaches leadership skills to teams all up and down the organizational chart. I am in also, he is also a keynote speaker and loves to help people from chaos to calmness. And our topic today is going to be identifying the blind spots on your way to a fee-for-service culture. So please welcome. Dr. Charles, how are you doing? The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. I'm doing well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. You got it. Looking good too, man. We're on video. I like this. All right, everybody can see it. I got dressed up. I wore my good Biggie sweatshirt. He wears Greg Norman golf. He's chilling in Texas. It's probably 95 degrees there. It's about 60 up here in the upper Northeast. So first of all, tell us about growing up in Houston. What were your folks do? What what were they doing? Oh, so um, I had a great childhood. You know, I have absolutely a very boring, loving family family. Two parents stayed at home, you know, mom stayed at home. She was a, a cook and made sweets, you know, for the bar mitzvah parties and all that side of stuff. My dad was a mechanical engineer, vice president of the company. Uh, it was a great childhood. We went to Galveston and sailed and fished and had a beach house. And my dad and I built a car together when I was 15. It's just wow. a really, just a total leave it to beaver, man. I guess we're going to need another show. At 15, <laughs> at 15, though, you built a car. I mean, you had to be like car yeah. crazy, right? Oh, my car. Yeah. yeah my car. Me yeah. At, at 15, my dad and I were in the garage every night building a car. Uh, it was a great experience. And, you know, like I said, uh, just a, a, a wonderful childhood. Two older sisters, you know, great rivalry there. Oh, you got the same um, but, birth order as I do. I got two older yeah, sisters. It's good two to be older the youngest. Sisters, the youngest male in the family. Good the to youngest, be the youngest male. It was great. It was great. Yeah. So uh, no sob story there. You know, obviously nothing, no regrets there. The only, I guess the biggest regret is my mother sadly passed away prematurely. 
two weeks to the day before I found out that I was accepted to dental school, which was her dream. So, oh my, you know, uh, there's there's there, there's the tugging on the heartstrings part of the story. Okay, so since we hit on the dental part, why did you go into dentistry, and or who helped plant the seed? Where did it come from? Where's the genesis? So when I was 13 years old, my mother just flat out told me, be a dentist. Now, again, you and I are compadres here. Um, but in 1973, when my mother told me that, she, the reason she told me, she said, it's a great job. You get to take a vacation whenever you want. You just walk up to your book and X out the days that you don't want to be there. You take Wednesdays off to play golf. And there's no such thing as an emergency. And again, in 1973, that was an accurate description of dentistry. And so from that point on, my sights were set. Wow. So you never questioned it, never wavered, like you never got with your buddies and you're like, hey, man, no. why don't you go in engineering and why don't you uh, why don't you race cars? You know, nothing. Um, nothing. No, it was it was tunnel vision, you know, wow. until. Yeah. Now, again, I did hit a little blip. I did go to the University of Texas. I didn't graduate from the University of Texas because uh, they asked me to leave before I was finished. So I did have to take a little hiatus from college and then ultimately went back to college and still did not get my degree, but the second time uh, being a little bit easier and then got accepted to dental school in a time where you couldn't do that nowadays. I mean, dental school applications were down. I was very fortunate. I was able to parlay the situation into getting accepted to all three dental schools here. Yes, in the state of Texas. We're so big, we have three dental schools. Actually, four now. You know what, though? Now. now the dental schools are popping up all over the place. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to add a one special that Metadenta is running for the month of November, and they want everybody to take advantage of it. Turn in any old, crappy, broken-down handpiece and get 50% off a brand-new handpiece. Yes, that's right, 50% off any handpiece. Just turn in an old, broken-down one or find some parts and send it to them. Thanks. Yeah. They really are. New York State used to have SUNY Buffalo, SUNY Stony Brook, right, and Columbia. They now have Columbia, Stony Brook, Turo, Buffalo, uh, I, I think I'm missing one other one. In their NYU? In, in, in NYU. Their... Thank you. I'm yeah, missing yeah. NYU. So we had NYU, Columbia, and Stony Brook in the city area. And then uh -huh. we had Buffalo upstate. Now there's Turo. And I wouldn't, and they want their talk of putting another one in Buffalo and a different, different person is pretty much behind it. It's, it's amazing to me how people can afford to build dental schools with just the capital costs involved, let alone the cost of instructors and everything else. But, Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Now, did your sisters, were they in any of these fields? Were they any healthcare, any background, any, any relatives uh, in healthcare? No. All, all of my dad's very similar to me. brothers, all of my dad's brothers were engineers because that's what that, that's what, that was the job to have in the 50s, right? And right? the 60s. You know, that was like being a doctor. So all of my uncles, mother's side as well, lots of engineers. Um, my sister's oldest one got married, became a housewife, uh, wonderful person. My middle sister went on to design clothing and have a clothing store, ultimately took over the baking business for my mother, extremely creative. Um, you know, just love them both. They're, 
just I, I can't say enough great things about my family. So wait, your mom had a baking business. She did, you know, out of the house, out of the but, house. But so so this is cool because if you think about it as a dentist, right? You got the entrepreneur part from mom. Our show is sponsored by our good friends at Metadenta. Metadenta has served the dental community since the 1940s with award-winning innovation and a large catalog of dental products in most facets of dentistry. I personally use several of their products and recommend them to anyone I can. They are a sponsor of the program and are offering 30% off. That's right, 30% off anything site-wide at metadenta.com. Simply use the code FFSD30 at checkout and get your 30% instant savings. From CR-rated profi angles, hygiene, high-speed handpieces, burr, endo, whitening, they more than have you covered. Their customer service is amazing, and they are willing to walk you through an order at any time. So if you have any questions, give them a call at 800-221-0750. That number, 800-221-0750. Or send them an email at orders at metadenta.com and mention the fee-for-service dentistry group and get your discounts. You got the kind of the mechanical genes a little bit from dad. So you're engineering. So you should have some capacity. Was there ever any talk around the dinner table about running a small business or anything like that? No, but I mean, I did. The only other uh, path that entered my mind was being a chef because I did like standing next to my mother and watching her bake. Uh, it It was very creative. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, at least people really like the person that bakes the brownies, right? Unlike oh, the absolutely. Dentist. They get invited yeah. to the next party, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> a little bit different, but, um, you know, I I guess I can, I, I'll say it humbly and vulnerably and a little embarrassingly, I wanted initials after my name. Uh-huh, fair enough. And I will tell you that, you know, my dentist growing up as a kid, uh, William Clithero, he's not with us anymore, was an amazing guy. I yeah. loved That's Dr. Cool. Clithero. I, did, I didn't like going to the dentist, yeah. but but Bill Clithero, um, I was not afraid of him. And quick story, I saw him at a dental meeting, um, God, probably five years before he passed, and I had to have one of the alloys replaced that he put in my mouth in 1968. And I told him, I went up to him, I said, you know, it only lasted 45 years. I want my money back. So he reached into his pocket and gave me $8. <laughs> he said, here, here, here's your eight bucks for the, for the filling. That, was, that only lasted 45 years, you know, so. Right. <laughs> Good it's, guy. It's, it's interesting. And uh, so the, the dentistry part, I, I lost my train of thought for a second. Okay, so the dentistry part, it's fascinating. So, there's, that, there's that influx. Um, yeah. And there's that, there's always, there's, there's always seems to be when I interview people, there's always seems to be a dentist somewhere that had that positive impact, you know, no. on something, on something, you know, so no, I, I had a family, can affect I, that. I had a family friend whose father was a dentist that I worked for him when I was in high school as part of a, a high school program that they had available. So I did three months in his office where we played with mercury in the palm of our hands because we yep. mixed our own alloy. Yep. You know, yeah. Yeah, you had the two uh, wells. You had the wet well and then you had the powder well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and we're we're yeah. dating ourselves here, man. Oh, 
Big time. I mean, why would anybody? Well, I mean, I know who's listening now. Everybody, everybody under the age of forty just hung up. You know, yeah, but, uh, right? Click next thing. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. There's good stuff coming. So, 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 tell me now. You graduate. What's your next step in your career path? Yeah. So, uh, dental school was great. Uh, University of Texas Health Science Center, amazing dental school, was voted number one in the country by deans and admissions staff when I graduated. So I got an amazing education, went on to Hartford, Connecticut, to another great program at St. Francis Hospital, where I did my residency program. And then, you know, like a magnet back to Texas, where both my wife and I were from. Um, And, you know, off to be, to save the world, basically. No case too big or too small, no patient I couldn't handle. That quickly changed, clearly, as we all know. Uh, but really excited to to get back into it and had some great mentors, great mentors, which, again, if you're a young dentist out there, please do not underestimate. And you and I were talking about that earlier, yeah, uh, about the, the ability and the influence that a great mentor will have on your professional life. So really set me up for success um, right off the bat, bought my first practice in 1994 in the middle of downtown Houston on the 10th floor of a beautiful old building with Italian marble in it. It was a great so office. You, you bought your first practice when? What year? 1994. What'd you do from 90 to 94? So I, I was an associate with some of my mentors, sure. right? Gotcha. And then I was also part-time working in, you know, the clinic, in a fast food sure. clinic type of thing. Uh, get your speed up. And all of my mentors were Panky doctors and, and Dawson occlusion and just, I mounted models for them and I cut and pinned their dyes. And, you know, I mean, not to really date ourselves, but, but Sonny, I think it is important that let's say you were an associate today, what would you be doing? You would be milling crowns for your, you know, for your doctor, you would be designing crowns on a CAD CAM system, essentially the same thing, you know, point being is stay next to someone who has the same training, but more experienced than you that can really shortcut some of the, the challenges that are out there. But you so, listen you listen to those docs, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. The oh, real yeah. value comes into how do you handle its scenario? Like just my son the other day, just, just yesterday, was talking about a challenging day he had, and he was talking about one patient. And then he went on to the next one. And he was like, oh, my God, I had nothing but trouble patients that day. And it, and it was one scenario after another. And and I was talking to him about implants. And he was like, I really need to just sit down and listen to you sell an implant case. And I was like, yeah. never really thought of that. But I get it, you know. And, and the question, yeah. right, if a person has an objection or has a question, how do you frame the conversation that is proper to that person, right? How do you direct it to that person so they can absorb it, number one, and then answer maybe objections or questions, but at least understand the benefit to them and how it's of value to them, create value, right? That's, I think, what we always yeah. want to do. So, Well, let's go back a little further even in that process, and that is, is so we're selling a service that people don't want to buy. Yeah. You know that if we were selling LASIK surgery, no problemo, right? If we were selling Botox and, and cosmetic surgery, no problemo. But we're selling a service that really most people don't want to buy. And so it does take a certain amount of uh, extrovertedness, if you will, 
to be able to talk to people. And I got that from my parents. It was, it's very easy for me to talk to people. But like I was about to say, or I'm going to say now is, I think that the people listening here, if you're having trouble selling, and I don't mind that word at all, because we're selling things that people need, don't sell things that are unethical or immoral. But if you're, if you're having trouble converting cases from treatment planning to treatment planned, then you need to ask yourself, Am, am I an extrovert or am I just having trouble talking to people? Have that self-awareness first to, to figure out where is the root of the problem? Because maybe you are the extrovert and you're just talking about the wrong stuff, you know, because you're not going to sell a case by talking about your vacation. Even if they went to the same spot you did, you're going to create uh, a relationship with that person, but you're not going to sell the case. Right. So so you need to find out if your problem is the fact that you don't like to talk to people or you're talking about the wrong things. And then you can get to the, the gap is people tend to buy what they want, right. not what they need. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the gap that we have to bridge is the conversion to get them to recognize that what they need is actually what they want. And when you can bridge that gap based on, asking them great questions about what do you value about your teeth and then taking your treatment plan back to that answer of what they value about their teeth. I want to keep them. I like to smile. I like to eat everything I designed here, sir, was designed to uh, meet that, that, uh, th that answer to that question of what's important to you. Mm -hmm. Now we bridge that gap between really what they need and what they want. And then it's just a matter of kind of closing the deal, which can be as simple as sounds like we're ready to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And they go, well, yeah. Okay. How much? Uh, I'll, I'll let Cindy or Joe or whomever talk about that. I don't, I don't talk money and a fee for service practice. I'm guessing you probably didn't either. No, we, I, I don't have a problem with it. Like, you know, if, uh, Ultimately, I'll have the assistant do the full presentation, but I'll say to a patient, like, you know, we're talking about, let's just take a simple tooth missing. Okay, we're looking at, we can do an implant here, and the cost, you got the implant, the abutment, and, and the crown that goes over the top of it. We're, look, we're looking in the neighborhood of $5,000. Now, it should be forty-eight, forty-nine, so I should be a little bit higher. Uh, and I'll hit that and I'll say, but I'll give it to you specifically by this. Now, if we want to have a tooth where you're wearing, we're going to make a flipper at another thousand dollars. If we're going to do this as a bridge, it's about four and it's maybe it's 3,900, you know? So I, I want to give them some generalized numbers. So, oh, if you want, oh, this is an implant. We're going to do four with something that fix. It doesn't come out. Okay. You're going to add about 15 grand for that portion and about eight for this. So that adds up. And I, I think the one mistake that I used to make, uh, just a very simple root canal, build up and crown. When a person asked me how much, I focused on what was the cost of the root canal. Well, that wasn't what it cost to save the tooth. What it cost to save the tooth was the root canal, build up and crown. Present the whole fee right off the bat. Because if you give them the part and they're, and they're thinking, I can afford the, let's say it's a thousand, I can afford the thousand dollars. And then you're hitting them, oh, it's another 400 and another 1000 Well, wait a second. I thought it was $1,000 to save the tooth. Well, it is. I don't have a tooth there, right? So, okay. So that helped me early on. And I try to definitely pass that on to our docs when they start listening, talk in terms of the case fees. 
but I don't, I don't back up or shy away from it. I just, I said, I don't, I'm not, I don't know the very specifics and I truly don't, I don't have yeah. the exact numbers, but I have enough. And I always round up so that when I can give an estimate, I can do some math in my head and say, yeah, that's going to be around this. Yeah. Again, I think we have to ask ourselves too. we have to put ourselves in the position of a consumer. When I go to buy something and I ask them how much it the cost, they say, oh, it's between a thousand and fifteen hundred. I heard the thousand. Right. <laughs> I didn't hear the fifteen hundred. So, right. yeah. you know, be, be careful about those ranges out there. I mean, and I know that sounds really obvious, but. Right. That's why that's why I burned on it. That's why I give yeah. one number. And I know yeah. the ultimate number is going to be a little less like. I don't know about you, but every time I saw my accountant, you know, he would say, hey, come in to see me. You know, it's November. Unless you got to do some year-end planning. Oh, geez, you know, you had a good year. It looks like your taxes are going to be $100,000. And I'm like, oh, okay, damn. And then, I, you know, April comes, hey, I got great news. You owe 99400 <laughs> And you're like, happy. What a genius. Yeah. 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 So it's always, I'm like, well, why don't I use that same concept, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so that, so that was one of the things that I kind of learned. So it's just that, but I think more importantly, what the person's looking at is what you do, like all those nonverbals. Like if you're like, oh, well, I, you know, I, and you start hesitating, they're already thinking, well, he's, his fees are too high. Listen to him. He's not comfortable with his fees. I agree with that. Right. So that's, I, I think that, and I think that's a big problem in dentistry. Don't huge. you? I mean, yeah, for some reason we we as a industry as an industry we don't like to tell people how much we charge. Yeah, we're we're like I mean, listen, it's cost what it costs. Dentistry is not cheap, and good dentistry yeah. is really not cheap. I, I'll uh, I'll ask this question to anybody watching this: When was the last time you bought a car? <laughs> and think about when you bought a car, and a year later. You got an email from your salesman or salesperson that said, hey, the next version is out of the car that you just bought 12 months ago. You got to come in and test drive it. And you're like, wait a minute. There's, I mean, how much different can the car be 12 months later? But they're already trying to put you in a new car. Now, I'm not suggesting that we respond in turn the same way. But we're talking, like I said, I wanted my money back from the filling that was put in 45 years ago. I was told it was going to last a lifetime, or at least that's what I understood. And that's just not the way it is. So, uh, yeah, I hope that the next generation of dentists can be a, a little bit prouder when they're talking about you know what they're doing and the, and the value behind it. Because as I used to tell my patients, what I put in your mouth will last longer than anything you're driving or anything that you're wearing. And if that's not a good value, I don't know what is, you know? That's a good point. I never heard anybody say that. That's a pearl yeah. right there. Yeah. Say that one more time. So I would say, well, first of all, I did a lot of gold work, you know, a lot of gold onlays and things like that, which just kind of does last forever. Um, but I would tell them I, you know, when they would start to hedge at that $5,000 that you mentioned, I would tell them what I'm going to put in your mouth is going to last longer than anything you're driving or anything you're wearing, period. Unless they have a Carhartt sweatshirt on. Those things are <laughs> indestructible. <laughs> there are a few things, but they might outgrow it. I'm just joking. It. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's telling me how those are in style now, by the way. There are some things. There oh are some my things. Gosh. I got a shirt for my honeymoon. Yeah. yeah. 
So tell me now. So you own in the process, you own three different practices. Just yeah. so you, you had your first practice you bought on your own was downtown Houston. Yeah. 94. Take us from that. Where what happened? Yeah. And so, what was the model? What was your business model? Were you a fee for service practice or were you a mixture? I was downtown Houston. I mean, there's a lot of insurance in downtown Houston, a lot of PPO. And so we experimented with those things for sure. And then ultimately narrowed it down. We didn't get off completely, mm-hmm. but we narrowed it. Like for instance, uh, I, I practiced in downtown Houston when Enron was still there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Arthur Anderson. So I had hundreds of patients that were on their plans and, you know, I, you just have to grapple with it. Right. And I decided, I think I'll just, I was young still too. I was just a couple five years out of dental school. I was like, you know what? I think I'd rather do dentistry at the reduced rate than not do dentistry uh, because doing dentistry was going to make me a better dentist. And like I said, I didn't even know my fees anyway. You know, I couldn't have told you anyway. So uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really want to know who was on a plan or who wasn't on a plan. I just did dentistry. It was mm-hmm. all the same. I didn't change labs or anything like that. Um, I right. just did the best dentistry I could do. So, um, and I kind of, you know, in 1990 was somewhat when the entrepreneurial spirit really hit dentistry. There were a couple of guys out there that were in the group practice, like the clinic that I was working at. He had three pretty large clinics. Uh, there was a guy named Jack Castle who, you know, had Castle Dental, which was a big clinic. McGregor was a big one. And and so we were working for these guys and all of my buddies were, we were like, well, we can do this. Why, why are we giving this guy 70% of the money and we're only getting 30? And so we all kind of developed that entrepreneurial spirit. And it was a little bit of a race to see who could get bigger faster. Um, the downtown office did okay. You know, it was doing pretty well. So I was like, all right. Bought a second one in, in a rural, not a rural area, but uh, a high-end area that was closer to home. And that practice was a great practice, uh, a lot less insurance there because it was much more affluent. And then I did something that wasn't the smartest thing in the world. I veered from my model, and the third practice I bought was a Medicaid practice. And just hard I to would make money in that. That's all. Well, it's hard to make McDonald's hamburgers, and it's hard to make Burger King hamburgers. But if you've got three Burger King stores, you can do well. Mm-hmm. But you can't have two Burger Kings and one McDonald's. Well, you can't have the same systems. processes and you can't have the same steps. Exactly you, right. You can't have uniformity. Now you have to. Have, exactly right. Right. Like you said, so, you got McDonald's delivery and then you got Wendy's, you know, like. Yeah. Different systems, same, same burger, you know, or it's a burger, but different systems all the way around. And that was a really difficult thing to do. Um, that practice did okay, but not great. Uh, and then 2006, bam, that's when kind of life changed pretty quickly for me. Um, I had a 16-foot flatbed trailer hitch fall on my hand and almost amputated my left index finger, and I'm left-handed. And so it looks like that if you have video now. You know. mm-hmm. um, and then I just became, you know, I was I was a pretty high-end. You're lucky you, you, lucky you didn't guy. lose your fingertip. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much almost did. It's, it, you know, but um, the hand became useless. I developed a tremor after the injury. 
and I was doing a lot of veneers and like I said, onlays and things that were pretty delicate. Um, and I couldn't do that anymore. Tried for a little bit, but then it just became impossible. I had some friends that were, that were growing this large DSO, a Medicaid DSO here in Houston, and they needed some help because they were growing rapidly and they knew, I mean, it, it was, the trust factor was there. So they said, look, come on in, take over Houston and San Antonio. I had 16 locations that I managed with about 45 associates. Uh, great chain of command. Learned a lot from those guys. Owe them an amazing debt of gratitude. Um, so, so let me ask yeah. you this. When, this. when this accident and this happens, and then you learn, okay, I, I can't do dentistry now. And you yeah. have the responsibility of ownership for three practices. Yep. Probably, let me guess, 40 plus employees, ballpark. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, their dinner table is fed by directly by you. What, what was your first inner, th- inner feeling or inner thought this, that went through your mind? Oh, no, this is what I have. Yeah. Well, embarrassingly, I didn't think of them. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out how I was going to put food on the table for my two children that were young. Well, yeah, uh, same thing. You know, like yeah, yeah. the responsibilities yeah. that you have, right? Oh, I was, I was, whatever negative emotion anybody could type into the chat box, I had it. Anger, fear, frustration, misery, depression. Probably owed the bank something, right? So you, I owed the bank money. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Um. So did you get bad like de- thoughts. did you hit depression? Yeah, definitely. So some bad thoughts crept in, no doubt about it. And there were there were some dark days for sure. Yeah. Um, see, that's like this is this is reality. Like everybody thinks yeah. it's rosy. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Right? I mean, it's it's still bad to this day. I mean, I still I think that's one of the reasons that I kind of love doing what I'm doing now from a leadership standpoint, because I do really honestly believe that I'm contributing to people's mental health by giving them the skills that allow them to take a lot of the noise out of their business day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and let them do the things that they learned to do in dental school that we all just wanted to do. I want to fix teeth. I want to help people. That's what what we're going to. That's what we're getting to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you've experienced um, this, and if you and I and I don't I don't not agree that you have to have cancer to cancer, but <laughs> when you experience these tremendous swings in a career, where think about it, you're flying, you're your third practice, third practice, you you yeah. know, and everybody looks at you from the outside, and says, what a super successful guy, right? He's got it all, wife, kid, but everything, how you know the whole the whole you bet. photo the Vacations, whole painting, yeah, whole picture bet. painting, yeah. and then bam. In a blink of an eye, did yeah. you did you have disability insurance? I di- I did yes. Okay, I did. But again, if you know anything about disability insurance, it's it doesn't doesn't replace your income, but no. uh, it it is a safety net of sorts. And I would absolutely tell yeah. everybody you should hang up the call right now. And <laughs> if you don't have disability insurance, I don't know what you're doing on this call. You should have disability insurance. I'll second that, and I've never had to claim it, but I will second. Yeah, that. I bought a practice yeah. from the dentist who had an eye injury. That was my. That yeah. was when I got into my own practice. He had a retinal problem, and yeah, thank God he had pretty good insurance. So, yeah. okay, so this is an all-time low. Yeah, stood on but the ledge for you, sure. You, yeah. Your your recovery 
then is stems from some contacts and relationships that you've had. That's what helped you get into this next next phase of your life. Correct. And and you, you know, even looking back on it, yeah. the the idea that I wanted to be such a great clinician, again, which I do believe that most dentists feel the same way, we want to do great dentistry, allowed me to segue into that, even though it was a Medicaid practice. The, the the guys that started that practice, their why, if you will, the reason they did that was because we worked in Medicaid practices after we graduated and we saw how lousy those people were treated. And we wanted to treat those people like real dental patients. And we wanted to make sure that the children that, ha- that needed all that dentistry didn't fear the dentist because... I mean, you can talk about the expense that we have, you know, from people going to the emergency rooms and having their teeth taken out yeah, of the emergency yeah. room, how that clogs up the system. You know, I don't know that we really uh, did anything for that part of it, but we did what we could to make good dental patients out of Medicaid patients and let them know that, hey, you can come to the dentist and it doesn't have to be terrible. You know, you right. can get your teeth clean. We did a lot of sealants, a lot of preventive Um and that was their why. And and again, I take my hat off to those guys. They made a lot of money and they earned every penny of it. They were well deserving of it. And uh, and then, of course, you know, like I said, they they knew me from a clinical standpoint. They could trust that. And then they knew me from a integrous mm-hmm. standpoint as well. So so what, even was, what, though, was your, what was your position again? Were you director? Yeah. So I was a dental director. I, I reported to the chief dental officer. Um, and so I was the dental director. I was boots on the ground. Let's just call it that way. My day to day was essentially, I was in an office from opening until lunch. And then I would drive to another office from lunch until closing. So I was in an office pretty much, you know, 90, 85% of the time I had a little office at corporate. That was fun. You know, that, that again, strokes your ego when you get to go to corporate type of thing. But uh, my best work was done working with the clinicians, the new graduates, teaching them, you know, how to talk to patients like we just mentioned, um, teaching them. So you're truly coaching. You're 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 the. Oh, yeah. No, I was I was mentoring and coaching every day, every day. So talk about about sharpening your ex. Yeah. And I still talk to some of those associates. I mean, I still am in contact with some of them to this day. And that job ended in 2000. 2017. Yeah. Now you then said you work for a DEO. What's the difference between a DEO and a DSO? Yeah. So it's, it's the, put the, put a V in front of it, the DEO and those initials stand for the dental entrepreneurial organization. So what the DEO is, is an organization. It's a community where people who want to scale and want to have multiple offices uh, and become a DSO, if you will, they have a community that they can reach out to for help. And then we put on live events and we brought in speakers. Um, Gordon Christensen was a speaker at one of our summits. Who's, who's um, the John, head of that company? John Coyce. So the, the uh, CEO of that is a guy named Jake Poole. He's not a dentist. Um, and then Emmett Scott is also a, an executive and a partner in that organization. Okay. Uh, really some fine people. Again, it's, they're again they're they're doing great and they're doing a great service to dentistry by creating these communities uh so that these multiple practice owners aren't getting in over their head but yeah so i 
So I, I, I went through the John Maxwell leadership training yeah, I was program. Just, I was, you took yeah. the words out of my mouth because I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan of John Maxwell. I got Love probably Love 10 it. of his books and I love yeah. his writings and, and it's so down to earth and so organic in nature. Spiritual. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, but yeah. I'll, I'll give you, yeah, let's, let's give some more pearls here. And so I went through Maxwell while I was a dental director at South Texas. I come back from John Maxwell. I'm a, now I'm a certified speaker, trainer, and coach. I've got the, the little coin and I've got the certificate, you know, and I'm ready to roll. And I'm a believer. And I know that if you don't use something immediately, chances of you using it after 48 hours goes way down. So I'm at a clinic and one of my associates comes to me and says, uh, Dr. Moser, can you come in and help? You know, the mom's really kind of pissed off and she wants to see my boss. Okay, sure. So I walked in, I put my hand out and I said to the lady, my name is Dr. Moser. How can I add value to you today? Now, what do you think her response was, Sonny? She went, huh? Yeah, exactly. Right. So I said it again. I said, my name Excuse is Dr. Me? Moser. I'm the, yeah. I said, I'm the dental director here. Uh, how can I add value to you today? And she paused a little bit again and very frustrated, not knowing what to say. She said, I'm just here to get my teeth, my kids teeth cleaned and the filling done, and we want to get out of here. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's exactly what we can do for you today. We will do that for you today. And then I went below the leadership line with sarcasm, and I said, no one wants you out of this office faster than me. I knew exactly what I was doing. But now let's backtrack. Let's, how does that conversation usually take place? And again, for anybody that's watching or listening to this, this is the money part right here. Because when I walked in and said, how do I add value to you today? Other than what typically someone would have said was, what's the problem? Right? But when you ask somebody, what's the problem? You're not only going to get the problem of the day. You're going to get the problem of the month. You're going to get the story about the dry cleaners and everything else. Right? So by well, asking it, her. It also, go ahead. it also puts someone on their heels. So what's the problem? Versus how can I help you? How may I be of assistance? You know, like, yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. How can I add value to you? That's because that's what I want to do for people. And it totally reframed the entire conversation immediately because it put her, it, it just took her off guard. I don't want to say it put her on the defensive because I don't want to be on the offensive. Right. I just, I just don't want to be in there in the middle of this argument, this screaming match right. about, her waiting 45 minutes, but yet she was 25 minutes late. So she's lucky to be seen at all. There was no reason to get in that tit for tat no, type of No, no, that's situation. a blue situation. Yeah. So totally defused it by saying, how do I add value to you today? And, um, you know, I said, if the goal here is to get your child's teeth clean and do the filling, then what do you say we get on that right now? It's like, well, that's all I want. You know? And so we did it. And, that was my that was my way of approaching almost every patient from that point on. I walked in and got very comfortable saying, my name's Dr. Moser. How am I going to be able to add value to you today? And again, they would look at me like, what? But it, but they couldn't give me a yes or no or a fine and silent. I used to call it the fine and silent, right? Hey, Sonny, how are you doing? Fine and silent. That's not a conversation, you know? So you walk in and say, hey, how am I going to be able to add value to you today? Like, I don't know. How do you think you're going to be able to add value to me? What a great comeback, right? If you're a dentist 
And your patient looks at you and says, well, I don't know. How do you think you're going to be able to add value to me today? Oh, boy, did they just tee it up for you? I mean, that that is the case is sold from there. So well, when, you yeah, went was, sar- when you went that sarcasm, you said specifically, what was what was that? What's that stuff? I, I, I said, well, so there's above the line and below the line leadership. It's totally binary. There is no middle ground. Above the line leadership is empathetic and compassionate and below the line leadership is not. And so I said to her, I said, no one wants you out of this office faster than me. And that's sarcasm. You know, that was nasty. Um, but I, I knew what I was doing from a standpoint of emotional intelligence. I chose to go there. Uh, she luckily, you know, I didn't really pick up on it. She was still human anyway, but, um, and so that's just, like I said, that's a little self-awareness, emotional intelligence, understanding that when you're going to go below the line, at least understand that it's your choice to do that. And you don't have to do that. So uh, that's just accountability and those types of, of traits. But so, yeah, so the DEO, I became a, an executive business coach where I worked with CEOs of DSOs. I worked with chief dental officers. I worked with office managers. Anybody that wanted to go on a growth path, anybody wanted to explore what it looked like to get out of the shame and blame business, to get out of the right and wrong business, there's really no right and wrong. There just is. Emmett Scott, one of the most amazing things he says is it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. Look, isn't that what we're all trying to do? Even if you go home and you got it right and you had this massive argument, you're still below the line, right? So get above the line and just let's let's have a little empathy and compassion. Understand that we don't know what people's stories are, you know. So just get it right. It doesn't matter about being right. You know, my, my wife is exactly the opposite of me, and we've been married for 36 years. She'll say, you know, I don't drive anymore. I haven't driven a car with, with her in it in probably 30 years because I don't go the way she would go. And she'll say, well, go this way. I go, why? And she said, it's faster. I go, well, who said I wanted to get there is faster. Maybe I want to take the scenic route, or maybe I want to take the route that has a new street. You know, I don't care. I don't care. And I really don't. And I really don't care about being right or wrong. I care about getting it right. I care about people going home and being in a state of mind where they can enjoy their family or enjoy their hobbies or enjoy whatever it is they're doing, rather than thinking about the argument that they had with their associate, with their office manager, with their patient, with their vendor, or whatever it is. Don't do that. Don't do it. All right. Well, this is good. some good stuff. Let's get into the identifying of the blind spots on your way to a fee-for-service culture. What are some of those blind spots that people need to be on the lookout for? Well, I think the blind spots are going to show up in how they're affecting you, right? So you went through the process, right? You you had a practice that you took to a fee-for-service practice. Is that accurate? No, no. I started the practice I bought was actually was, I'll call it, was a fee-for-service practice. Now okay. I, I did find a couple people where he accepted insurance and wrote off the difference. And I was like, this, this isn't. Okay. And then my understanding was that's not legal or ethical. So if I'm not collecting the fee, I have to, you know, I didn't know I have to notify the insurance company, but all I know is if the insurance kind of checked and they said, where's this other money and you didn't collect it, you 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 presented a fraudulent claim and you were, guilty, you were guilty of a federal offense. So I was like, okay, 
Yeah. I, I, I've got two young kids. One just had a major heart, heart problem when she was born. And we just bought this practice and everything I own is in this car right now. No, we're not doing that. So right. we've been fee for service from the get go. So I, I didn't cool. have to go through the conversion. The okay. multitude of people that I've interviewed on this show, a lot of them have, yeah. have, have shared their journeys. So I have a pretty good feel for what they went through. So I can, I can't speak for them, but I can sort of speak a little bit of what they've been through. So well, I would, I would suggest just that people really need to work on, on enhancing and, and heightening their sense of awareness. What are they feeling? Um, is it anxiety? Is it fear because they're going to make less money if they, if they, uh, get off of these insurance plans? Is it ego or are they thinking that people are going to think they're better than, or we're better than you because we don't take your insurance? You know, what is it that you're feeling? And so, then, so this is, so this yeah. is, what are they feeling about moving in that direction? Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. Because gotcha. that's kind of the first start. Right? I was like, well, I'm th we're thinking about getting off all these insurance plans. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about that. You know, what's that going to look like to you? What's that going to feel like to you? Let's, let's pretend like you've already done it. Now, who are you? You know? Um, and well, that's like a start with the end in mind, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Stephen Covey, right? Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Yep. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. And so th then if you can, from a psychology standpoint, there's this idea of, well, if you can label it, if you can label that feeling, fear, anxiety, ego, whatever it is, then you take it off of your back and you put it alongside of you. And there's distance between you and that feeling now. And it gets a little bit easier to, to unpack. Give, give me an example of that, what you're just talking about there. Like well, so for instance, what, would, my, what, would, what would one of those feelings be? Yeah. So in, in my own journey uh, of having my hand crushed on a daily basis, sometimes hourly, I would just start sweating. Uh, I would just you know start hyperventilating. Um, and, you know, I'm like, why? What, what's happening to me here? Right. So this and is anxiety then you'd call this. Anxiety. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I'm having a panic attack. So that's the feeling. person's that's feeling. That's the feeling. Right. So the feeling is the feeling, right? It's that visceral feeling of sweating and, 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 and vibrating uh, and heating up pulse racing. Well, now I have to take that feeling and I have to label it. Okay. Charles, you're having an anxiety attack. Okay. Now, once I do that, I can put space between me and that anxiety attack because now it's a thing. It's not me. It's separate from me. Right. Cause it okay, has a well, name. It has an identity. It has right. a name. Right. Okay. okay. Well, the first thing I used to tell myself was, you know, I've had these before and they always pass. That was, that was almost enough right there to just allow myself to go, okay, well here it comes. And I know it always passes sometimes a little longer than others. By the way, I mean, the reason I ended up leaving dentistry is because I developed a tremor in my hand. And I would walk into the operatory not knowing if my hand was going to shake or not. And when it did, and there's a patient in the chair waiting for you to do two crowns, what do you do? Yeah, they don't want you know, they don't want to see someone coming at them with a, with a hand. Oh, my God. No. Like oscillating. No. Like an oscillator. So I would... 
Yeah. I would excuse myself. My you know my entire team was so supportive. I would excuse myself, go to the lab, make an excuse type of thing, um, and then go through my process of it always passes. I believe this is so weird, but I did have a specific song that I would listen to. I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's so corny. Uh, but I had a specific song, and I tried others, but this specific song calmed me down. And then I knew that once I got working, ultimately the anxiety would pass and my hands would settle down. But I couldn't walk into the operatory like that for day after day after day after day. So you go through this process, label it, it's anxiety, it's depression, it's fear, it's anger, it's frustration, it's a joy, you know, whatever. Um, and then you could get it off your back and beside you and start to put some space in between you by saying things like, I know it always passes. I know it always passes. I'm going to go listen to my song. I'm going to do some affirmation. I, I mean, I went to therapy over it, you know. So the funniest story was my therapist was a patient of mine before he was my therapist. I can't believe I'm telling you this. this, this and, and so I'm in therapy with him one day, cognitive behavioral therapy. He's helping me work through these things. And he needed two crowns on eight and nine. And he said, oh, yeah, as I was leaving his office, he's like, yeah, I need to schedule those crowns. And I said, Doc, you're going to let me work on your mouth? And he said, are you kidding? Who better to work on my mouth than you? He goes, I know exactly who you are. You know, he says, I know exactly how to handle you. I'm like, <laughs> that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But we did his two crowns, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you just start to work through it. You give yourself some tools and research. It's nothing just like a telephone, it's just like a computer. You just need tools and resources that will help you get through it. And uh, and so that's what I would tell these people when they're starting to feel like, oh my God, people are gonna think I'm better than them. Well, the first thing I would say was, I wonder if you can reframe that into a, into a statement that's exactly the opposite of what you just said to me. So what you said to me was, people are gonna think I'm better than you. Well, the complete opposite would be, I wonder if people will think that I'm less better or worse than them because I don't take insurance. Is there any possibility that that statement is true? And the answer is always yes. I mean, because there there's no right and wrong. There's no 100%. So if, if both polar statements have a certain amount of possibility of being correct, then why would you get attached to either one of them? Just give it up. You know, so we don't have to don't have to deal with that anymore. And when we do have to deal with it, then you label it. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling that ego thing where people are going to come in and say, because you don't take insurance. Oh, you think I'm you think you're better than me? Well, some of the people are going to think, well, I don't want to go to you because you don't take my insurance. You're worse than me. There you go. Problem solved. OK, crazy, huh? Yeah. So I know it's just funny. Man. I'm, I'm thinking of a. Uh... When you, when do you think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? And, and there was Yo, you a, think so, you're better than me. You think you're better than me? <laughs> so, it's an Italian thing, right? You think you're better. Than me. Um. So, so okay. So here we are. We're thinking of okay. I want to go to fee for service. I want to change to that model. I want my practice to look like that. We already talked about. You kind of have put yourself into frame of mind and also picture what that looks like. Put yourself there, right? Start with the end in mind, what have you. And now you start identifying 
those feelings, then you start to name or label and then separate, get some distance so you can have some more clarity and or some more um, ability to keep them where they belong, so to speak. Yeah, now, you keep them at, at arm's length. At arm's yeah. length is a better place. Yeah. yeah. So now... Well, so let's see some of the other okay, things so, you're going to be looking. Yeah. So the so the next thing that you're going to go through, I would bet, would be okay. Well, it's change, right? I mean, now we're talking about just change. Everybody's averse to change initially, but go ahead. Yep. Well, that's what people think, but I mean, do you diet? Do you cut your hair? Do you do you read a book? Do you try to learn something? I mean, we're we're changing every day. So people don't hate change; they hate the way we try to change them, for the most part. Uh, my, one of my favorite stories, and this happens almost in every DSO that I've seen, they do all their due diligence, they buy an office, and then the office manager, after being told how valuable they are and how you're you're absolutely vital, they walk in and quit. And you know, why are you quitting? You say, well, I hate change. Well, you're going to go change your office, your location, right. your team. Well, it's just like a patient that's going to leave your office because the doc, the new doctor's coming in. Well, we're going to change. Well, you're going to change yeah. anyway, you know? I mean, you're going to change, right? So... They don't hate change. They hate the way we try to change them. So what we do is we have to change our relationship with change. So how do we do that? Well, you're about to change your environment and you're going to go fee for service. So one of the things I would ask people to do is anticipate the change before it happens. So sit down and just start writing out. What are the things that could happen to me now that I'm thinking about getting off of these insurances? What are the possibilities of change? You're never going to get to all of them right? But invariably, you're going to write down five or six things. And then one of those things is going to come to pass, right? It's going to come to fruition. And you can go to that page and go, dang, I'm good. I already knew or anticipated that this was going to happen. And here are the three things that I wrote down. If this happens, then I'll do this. So now we just go, well, I'll just do these three things. You know, it's, it's nothing more than managing the expectations of a patient because now you're managing your own expectations. So anticipating that there will be change is the first part of managing the change. Don't get caught blindsided by the whole thing, right? Um, I'm not ex I'm not saying that you should go quit your job so that you'll feel you'll know what it feels like to get fired. You know, I'm not saying that. Right, right, right. But right. You, you know, like like you, you said, before, yeah. Yeah. To be a survivor. Right. Um, but just sit down and, and anticipate Look, clearly you're not the first person to ever get off insurance policies. Right. So I'm betting you can find somebody to help you create that list. Hey, what happened to you? What were the changes that happened to you in your practice when you got off of insurance plans? I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They're going to tell you exactly the five or six things that happened. Dude, how did you handle those things? I don't know. I just did. Okay. Well, thanks. I got to go to the next guy and ask him, here's the list of six things. How did you handle these things? You know? Right. And I mean, you're going to fill out the sheet ultimately yourself. And then you're going to sit back and just kind of go, yep, that's happening. Do one, do two, do three. Yeah. That's happening. Do one, do two, do three. Don't get caught with your pants down, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's the old Bobby Knight, right? Either plan to fail or fail. If you fail the plan, you're going to plan to fail. That's right. So you kind of have to almost go through the, what do you call that tree, right? The decision tree? Yeah. The decision yeah. tree, right? Yeah. 
and have uh, your all all your all your bases covered, and as well as a number of uh, alternative pathways. Right. Now, I did have one client. He's the only person that I've met so far that enjoyed chaos. I mean, he truly did. He had multiple locations in Chicago and and he ran his downtown Chicago practice as if it was a hospital. There were no appointments. It was walk ins only. And he would triage and treat, triage and treat. Now, his associates, it drove them crazy. Cause they got all, you know, all got out of dental school thinking I'm going to have this schedule and I'm going to know what I'm doing the day before he hated that, you know, but he's the only person I've ever come across that, that liked practicing in just a, just an outright chaotic environment. But was that only practicing? No, he had, he had two or three in Chicago. So he probably, but that was the only, that was the only practice that was run like that because that, that yeah, he probably loved the he practiced. He probably yeah. loved the variety. Hey, listen, Tuesday is is free free for all day, right? Right, right. And there there's a doc in in Philadelphia, that Lee Schiffman, and and that's his model. He's open seven days a week, and has no appointments, and it's pretty much walk in emergency only, full fee for yeah. service. They pay cash, and it's that's a right. neat model. Right. It's a really right. neat model, and it's so unique. But you really have to be a great general dentist. Well, you have to have a pretty good skill set for darn sure. Yeah, right? you got yeah. you got to be. You can't be referring uh, things out, you know. I mean, yeah, you got to be able to diagnose your, and treat. You're not. Yeah, you got to be able to diagnose and treat. You got to be fast. And, yeah, you're not a traffic yeah. cop. You are a judge, jury, and executioner. Really. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're doing it all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was a good interview. It was a great conversation. I'll bet. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up in a bit. Uh, do you have more you want to cover? Well, I I think again that. I would stress to people that change is important in our lives and that we shouldn't shy away from it. We should almost embrace it. And if you can make that part of your culture, even then your employees, if they're not averse to change, what a better environment, right? Cause they're not taken off guard either. I should, and, read, I should read to you my core values. Cause one of no, them, I, one yeah. of them. Change. Be adaptable to change. Yep. Love it. Be ready to Love change it. whatever it is. It's that we're going to change. You got to be on the boat. Yeah, that's dentistry. I mean, that's life, really. But, you know, right. dentistry, I, I used to kind of tell myself every day when I'd walk in the office, okay, I'm I'm going to expect six things that are going to try to throw me off base, you know, and six hiccups. And if I got out of the office and I really counted only five, then I was like, that's a pretty cool day, right? If I had seven, well, I didn't have seven. I only had one, really, right. you know. Right. yeah. Yeah. So that that was a good way to again to walk alongside of it to to yeah. kind of give it a name and not not wear it when I got home. Oh, I had seven hiccups today. It's like yeah, one more than I expected. So if they want to, if folks want to reach you, right, they can reach you at bluehorsepersonaldevelopment.com. Uh, yeah, yeah, bluehorse bluehorsepersonaldevelopment.com, bluehorsepd.com gets you there as well. Uh, yeah, and we've got just some. Really, I just think some great products and programs. We have an online leadership training program that's 12 weeks completely online for people that kind of like to do it yourself mm-hmm. type of thing. Uh, really a lot of great content. Um, I've, I've just, again, like dentistry, I've had some great mentors in the leadership field mm-hmm. as well. And we talked about John Maxwell and there's some other guys, you know, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle. Just really, really great guys. Simon Sinek, I listened to. Simon Sinek. Um, He's got some good books. Interesting. Simon's good. Simon's good. Yeah. An interesting guy. 
Yeah. Uh, so last question I got to ask you. Sure. Nothing to do with dentistry. If you could go, you are going to go back in time. Where would you go? Why? With who? What? Give us some details. You're you're free to go anywhere. Can I, but can I go back to 1965 or 1968 yeah. where I'm eight years old again? You can go back to pyramids. I don't care. Oh, oh, dude. No, no, no. That's that's a no-brainer for me. I mean, I want to be eight years old again. I want to be on a sailboat with my mom and dad. And, you know, I just I lost my mom when I was 25. And and I haven't seen my dad since 2009. So I had such a great childhood. I would in a minute, in a heart in a New York minute, as you guys say, I would go back and and relive those years between eight and 18 all over again. You know, and a lot of people say they'd like to go back to college. I mean, those were certainly fun days, but no, dude, I want to, I want to smell my mother and hug her again for sure. Yeah. yeah. You can't top that, man. You cannot top that. <laughs> I, I, I had an inkling. I didn't know exactly. It's always fun because I really you tried to get me to cry on the spot. No, I, I just want, I want, I want your visceral response. Like your yeah. first, what comes in your head? I don't care how wacky it is. I'm glad you didn't prepare yeah. for it. People have listened no. to because they kind of get ready, but it's, yeah. it's, it's really right. It's stripped down. It's who you are. It's, it's your DNA. And yeah, no, I've always wanted to be a cowboy, but, but to smell the cookies in the oven. Yeah. But it echoes what you talked about with your childhood. I mean, it echoes yeah. what you said in the very beginning of this podcast. You had a great childhood. You had a great life. Your mom, influential, stay at home. You know, you you, you had a nurturing, idealistic, yeah. really. You said Ozzy and Herod, I think, were the words you used. So. Uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, leave it to Beaver. But yeah, same thing. Oh, leave it to Beaver. I'm sorry. That's one. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't see either of them, but I've seen a couple reruns of it. But Love less to watch Leave it to Beaver. So good. All right. Well, Charles, I appreciate you. That was uh, really great talking to you. I know you're going to you. folks and interesting, interesting conversation. I've, I've heard it talked about in different ways. I do like a lot of the techniques and, 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 and um, phrasing and descriptions of things. It's very, it's vivid and it's real. And the imagery, if you, if you're a big, you know, like a photo learner, you can yeah. make a storybook here and really, capture you know green eggs and ham type of reader like well you know not only do we know that dentistry throughout its history has had a uh, a problem with suicide rates and divorce yep. rates and depression and all that bigger now picture. we're in an, yeah now we're in an area where we're allowed to talk about it too which is great right so if that's the case hey let's talk about it and and let's let's get you some skills just like you have dental skills it's, it's exactly the same thing once you have the skills you know how to handle these things you can do your dentistry and make money and be a great clinician and then you can go home and not carry this stuff with you empower others to take stuff off your plate it's great great life all right man great stuff great way thank to you end. sir thank you very yeah, much thanks for having me really appreciate it you got it appreciate you have a good one we'll see you Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, 
For help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.